is good stuff. Hey, let's make some noise for Hume Lake, huh? These videos are pretty amazing. Good job, Mikey, Sarah, and the team. Good job. If you got your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 8. That's where we'll start out this evening. As you're turning there, we'll just kind of recap real quick. We started off in John 1 two days ago. We got through to John 6 just yesterday. Remember Jesus saying some really bold claims, really in, important things as he was healing the sick and he was seen, com, seen having compassion on people. He was making some big claims of I am God and I am the Messiah, I'm the one you've been longing for. Chapter 6 ends with people leaving, and he says to the disciples, what about you? Where are you going to go? And they're like, we're not going anywhere. you got the words of eternal life. Where can we go? And as you're turning to chapter 8, let me just get your eyes on verse 1 of chapter 7. It says this, after this, Jesus went to Galilee. He did not go through Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Whoops, that escalated quickly. If you remember, they're so frustrated at this Jesus, because he's making some very bold claims, and no one makes claims like that. And it's very dangerous to make those kind of claims. Dangerous for them, these religious leaders, to kind of control the masses by some rules. Dangerous because of Rome and what that could mean if there's a king. So they're like, let's get rid of this guy. He's making some really, really bold claims. Put a pin in that one. We'll get to that. Tomorrow night, I bring it up because Jesus going to the cross tomorrow, which we'll talk about, spoiler alert, it's not just something that catches him off guard. He knows it's coming. Chapter 8 is where we're at here. John chapter 8, it says this. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him and sat down, and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, these religious leaders, brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placed her in the midst of everyone around, and her guilt and her shame, right in the middle. And they said, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery now. In the law of Moses, the Moses commanded us in the law to stone such a woman. So... What do you say? This they said to test Jesus, that he, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground, and as they continued to ask him, what do we do, what do we do? He stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. Go ahead. And once more, he bent down and wrote in the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one con condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. Would you pray with me as you begin? Lord, thank you for... Uh, your word being relevant, being reliable. As we continue to study it, we can't pick and choose things that are in it. It's either true or it's not true. 
soon as we talk about a topic like we are tonight, we don't get a, a, a say in it. We could choose whether we believe or not. That will be a choice that we will talk about. May you soften our hearts and allow your word to fall on hearts that are good soil, ready to hear what you have to say. It's in your name we pray. Amen. These religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus. They know that if they bring up this woman, according to the Mosaic law, which is in Deuteronomy 22, it actually is true. If you commit adultery, they're supposed to bring the man and the woman, and then they would throw rocks at them and they would die because sin is a big deal to God. But here, the religious leaders only bring the woman, and that's interesting. They themselves are trying to trap Jesus, but not even really listening to the law because they don't care about the woman, and that's unfortunate because they have one thing in mind. Let's trick Jesus because if he obeys the law, he says we have to kill her, and according to Rome, you're not allowed to put somebody to death without talking to Rome first. But if he doesn't, he shows compassion, and he says, well, we'll just let it go. Well, then he's breaking the law of Moses, so what do we do? And they're trying to trick Jesus. This is it. They've been trying to trap him so that they can go ahead and kill him or bring him to Rome and let them take care of him. But Jesus, just seeing right through it, he bends down, he starts to write in the sand. We don't know exactly what he's writing. And he stands up and he says, go ahead, do it. You're right, it's what the law says, so do it. But you can only do it if you've never sinned yourself. And I have to believe these people around, they're like, ah, he did it again, right? And one by one, and it's interesting, right? The older, starting with the older, why? Because the older people, they know, I got plenty of sins. I know I'm not guiltless. Drop, 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 drop. And people suggest what was written in the sand was sins. We don't know exactly what he's writing, but it was enough to convict them just that simple phrase, hey, go ahead. You're right, it's what the law says. Go ahead. But only if you're without sin. And one by one, they're dropping the rocks and they're walking away. The woman is guilty. And she's ashamed and she's humiliated and she's disgraced. And Jesus in his love covers up her disgrace with his grace. Why did they not throw stones? Because they know they've all sinned. And Jesus in his mercy and grace comes around this woman and has compassion on her once again and does what only he can do. Says, no more sinning. Go on your way. And by meeting Jesus, her life has changed. Well, I guess we don't know 100%. We don't know if she goes on and continues to sin. But in that moment, she has that ability to have her life really completely changed as she walks away. We're talking about sin tonight, and, and, and as we talk about it, it's a heavy topic. As, as we talk, truth be told, what is sin? Where did it come from? We're going to start back in Genesis chapter 1. In Chapter one, we, we, we go and we highlight back to this idea of, of who God is. And this was, I know, our first morning together, a right view of who God is. And it starts within the beginning, God. What did he do? He created. What did he create? Everything. 
And in chapter 2, we get another understanding of what he's creating. And in chapter 3, in chapter 2, he's creating humans. And he, uh, he, he creates us, right? And it's a little cheesy U.S.A. U.S. I'm just kidding. It's just us, right? He just creates us, humans. And I do this little cheesy analogy because I want us to understand a right view of who God is, and we are created, and he says it's very good, and in Genesis chapter 3, his creation walks with the creator, and everything is how it should be. What are they doing? They are connected to their life source. They are connected to God who is hope, who is love, who is satisfying fully, who is personal. Why? Because he's walking with them and they're enjoying one another because that's how it was supposed to be in the beginning. In the beginning, God, what did he do? He created everything, including you and us. And he gave us a lifeline to enjoy him. Father, Son, Spirit, who has always existed because they're eternal just completely with uh, just enjoying themselves. And they said, hey, we want to create you to enjoy what this looks like of a relationship between Father, Son, Spirit, and you're invited into that. Because this is what it was created to be, and it was very good. Because you're connected to me. And it was good. And we, we saw that at the opener, which again was so long ago, if you think about it, on Sunday night. Adam and Eve come out and they do this little pirouette dancing, right? And it's just cute and it's great, right? It's, it's nice and I want them to date each other because they're, they're cute together, right? Like it's just, it was kind of, it's just nice and everything is good and it's, it's how it should be. And then all of a sudden the bass drops and there is the enemy, boom. If you remember, and he has this little spoken word, pardon me, woman, where's this man? And she says, oh, we're the only ones here in this garden. And he says, well, I, I, you know, I have a little scheme. I'm sorry, I mean, I have a little question for you. And they reenact this thing, and it's interesting the language that they use in this, in this little spoken word, but it's very interesting how, how clear I feel that opener was when I think about the interaction in the garden. Verse three, chapter three of Genesis. Now the serpent, serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit and the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the, servant said to, but the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, you'll be, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. As God creates, he says, listen, you can enjoy everything. In fact, you have the most important thing in this garden, which is me. Enjoy it all, but just stay away from this one thing. And they have this opportunity here to either listen to God and enjoy him fully or walk away and disobey what he's saying. He's giving them a choice. And it's interesting here, this crafty serpent, do you see what he does? He does something that he did back then and he's still doing today. Two things that the enemy says then that he says still now. Did God actually say is what he said. 
Did God actually say, what's he getting Adam and Eve to do? What's he getting us to do? To simply doubt God, his goodness, and his word. And number two, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. The second thing that he did now, then and now, you don't need him to tell you what to do. You can be like God. In the beginning, not him. In the beginning, you. Doesn't that sound nice? And they have a choice to make. And I don't know about you, and I know it was a long time ago, just a few days ago, but they have this moment then. He says, he's standing over here and he says, hey, the choice is up to you. He's, he's taunting Eve and he's like, you've got to make this choice. Do you really want to trust him when this can be so much more? He says, make your choice. It's up to you. And then this music starts and she gets on this little stage, which was awesome, by the way, as it starts to turn. And again, I don't know if you saw it, but it's such an interesting inner battle that we don't read in scripture, but we have to believe why, because Eve was human. In this battle for the first time of, do I go against him, which is absolutely everything I really want, which is life, which is faithfulness, which is love, which is hope, which is so satisfying. Why would I give that up? But I have a choice to try something new, and that sure does look good and tempting. And she comes around to the enemy who is right here and she passes and all of a sudden this thing sucks back and she's going back the other way and she's trying to run from it in this battle and in this turmoil that's starting to happen and she grabs Adam and they both step on this thing right when this tree comes back and you might have missed it. But these guys at him, they think about so much of these details that we miss. And this apple kind of floating object white thing. My wife actually came up with that idea. Good job, Allison in the back. Woo. This, this globe thing, right? Come on, it's my wife. You could clap a little louder. Good job, Allison. It's perfectly placed right here, and she grabs it, and then that MC comes out and says, here's the problem right now. And I wish I got the lyrics. I was thinking about getting those for us because it was so powerful. But in that moment, she has a choice to make. Do I trust truth or do I go for something else? Do I want to believe the idea that in the beginning, God, and he's everything I want? Or do I choose to think in the beginning, me, and I listen to the lies? Truth or not truth? What do I choose? And what does she choose? Consequences stink. Regret is pretty awful. I'm not sure if you've had regret in your life. Regret is not fun. Thinking back on, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. In fact, I'm not sure if you know the face of regret, but here it is. This is the face of regret. <laughs> My little daughter here was told many, many, many times, we got her this little Christmas present, and there's these little, like, Lego sphere things that kind of clip onto each other and you build. And I think that they were made up by somebody who hates children <laughs> and parents because they're fun to build. But boy, if they get in your hair at all, it is a mess. And I told Isley, listen, sis, look at this. See this? Keep it away from your hair. And she's like, oh, I put it in my hair. No, stop. Listen, this little thing, you got to keep it out of your hair. She's like, okay, okay. She dumps them on her bed and she decides to lay in them. Awesome. And this was the next few, what, hour or whatever. 
I, I left them in. I didn't care. <laughs> Consequences, man. Dad can say, sis, listen, don't do it. She's got a choice to make. And it breaks dad's heart, man, I'm telling you. Watching her just cry as I got to yank this thing out. But what's the other option? I guess cutting her hair off. That sucker was all the way down, all the way down. And this girl's just crying as I'm pulling. She's like, stop, stop, stop. I'm like, I got to do it. And everything in me is like, oh, I want to say I told you so. So I said it many times. <laughs> we got him out. She's learned her lesson for sure. Adam and Eve, they had this opportunity to just walk with the Lord perfectly. And I just wish I could go back in time and do it for them. But I don't know if I would make any different choices. God says, choose me, and I don't. And that's what we see in verse 6. We keep reading in chapter 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good, Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was so desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. Relax, freshman. <laughs> and, and the eyes of both of them were open, and they saw that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. They heard the sound of the, Lord walk, of, the, of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman, the woman you, you gave me, she ate from the fruit first. She gave it to me. I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? She said that the serpent deceived me and I ate it. It goes on and on to talk about the Lord talking about the consequences that are coming. But they already knew the consequences that it was going to bring death. Well, they do it. They knew that God said, don't eat it. And it's interesting that one of the first consequences that they noticed is they, this, this, this guilt and shame about their bodies. And not just about their bodies, just guilt and shame enters into humanity. And I don't know if you feel any of those consequences of guilt or shame. Maybe you didn't know where they came from right there. We go back to the, the woman we were reading about in, in, in chapter 8 of John, and she's pulled in front of all of these people and just feeling just embarrassed and guilt and shame, and it's a consequence of sin. God came walking out, and what did they do? They hid out of fear from the one that they're supposed to enjoy because they were created to enjoy life with him. That's the whole purpose. 
It's why they're created to enjoy him. And in one little decision, guilt and shame and fear from him make them run and hide and they don't want to be in his presence. They hide in fear and guilt and shame because we sin and there's consequences. What is sin? Sin is, is a word we, we, we read in the Bible, and sin is really just defined as um, it's a compromise of God's laws, uh, going against God's laws in your thoughts, in your words, in your deeds, or your attitudes. Go, so sinning against God is just if he says something and we don't do it, whether it's in our mind or the things that we say or our actions that we do, that's a sin. And it's interesting as we think about uh, Adam and Eve, it's like, well, wait, so they sinned, so we sinned? Yeah, well, we, it's, in, it's, in, it's in our human nature now. But again, would we really make any other different choices? In fact, that's the, the story of John and the, and the woman at the beginning, right? John 8. They all dropped their, their, their rocks. Why? Because they know they have all sinned. In fact, if you, don't, you don't have to turn there. I brought my Bible for you. Romans chapter 3 says this. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. I, I can't imagine that, that there's somebody in here who's like, well, I've never sinned. Again, God, there's, there's a lot of, there's the Ten Commandments. In fact, in Exodus, um, in Exodus 20, it gives the, the Ten Commandments that God says. And, you know, uh, um, in that, in fact, let me, um, let me, let me turn there really quick because it's a, uh, it's an interesting thing that we don't really think about. It says this, Exodus 20, God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall no, have no other gods before me. You, uh, you know, goes on. You shall uh, take no name. You should not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Uh, don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. And there, there's, there's 10 of them here. But it's interesting because we think of these as a, a bunch of laws. Do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts. But it's interesting to go back in the beginning of what he's saying. He's saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. What he's saying is, listen, if you remember who I am and what I've done, you won't want any other gods before me. If you remember who I am, you're not going to use my name in the wrong way. He's saying, this is, we were created, um, I've created you to enjoy me. Why would you go against me? So we've all sinned. We've all done one of these things where God says, love me more than anything. Good, good luck with that. So I would imagine that we all would say, yes, we've all sinned once. Is that a big deal? It, it is a big deal. Why? Well, because Romans chapter 6 says this. The wages. The wages, the earnings. You have a job, you get a paycheck. You don't go in after a two weeks of working and they give you a paycheck and you're like, yes, thank you. I, this is so generous of you. I can't even believe it. Why? Because they're like, I guess it's fine. It's what you, you earned, right? It's your earnings. You do a job and you get it. Well, it's the same thing. One sin, your wages, your earnings of sin is death. But the gift of the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. We'll get to that later. The wages of sin is death. That's a, that's a big deal, right? That's a big jump. I sin one time, 
One sin and I have to die? Yeah. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. But should it be that big of a deal? I don't know. Don't you think rebellion's a pretty big deal? And the problem is, is maybe we don't think rebellion is that big of a deal. Just going against God once saying, you know what, God, you're saying this. I absolutely disagree with you. I'm going to go do the other thing. One time is sin. And the consequence of that one sin is death. Doesn't matter how many you do. Doesn't matter how bad it is. Sin is sin to God. It's a disobedience from him. And you say, okay. So I, the, the consequence is death. All right, we're all going to die. It is what it is, right? It's a physical death, yes. The problem with sin that we don't think about enough, it's not just a physical death. What we need to do is really take sin seriously because why? We were created to enjoy our life source. We were created to enjoy him. He says, I am everything you want and you need. And I keep saying that because I think we forget it. And the problem with sin is the wages of sin is death. It's not just a a physical death. It's a spiritual death. It's literally a cut off from our life source. Everything that is good that you want in life, it is from him. And you don't get to enjoy that anymore. Why? Because he is good only You want love. Why? Because I know you seek it because I seek it. We all deep down just seek to be loved and known. The problem is you're cut off from your life source. People, we can be loving, but he is love and you want that. But the problem is how? You're cut off from your life source because of sin. And we don't take sin seriously, but this is the consequence of it. But it's okay. Because the good news is, you could come to camp, and coming to camp fixes the life source. Whoops. You come into church, and now, if you read your Bible enough, that will do it, right? No. Why? Because the, the consequences of sin is death. And just reading your Bible, that doesn't pay the price. Not cursing doesn't pay the price. Walking old ladies across the street, it doesn't pay the price. Only death does. Because sin is very serious and God takes rebellion very, very serious. And the problem is, is our relationship with God isn't just broken. The relationship with you and me, us, we're messed up now. And you feel that. I know you do. You've been burned by people. People in their nature now choose themselves. People now, we, 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 we're, we're, we're at each other. We're not, we're not in a loving relationship with one another because we're not connected to our life source. We don't have that power anymore. We're broken. And I have to believe you feel that in our world, that we are broken because we're trying to find love outside of what truly love is. And there's nothing that we can do to fix it. Let that sink in. There is nothing that you can do to restore your relationship with God. Why? Because the the price is death. And guess what? You got one time to die. The problem is, is if you die physically, apart from him spiritually, you will stay that way for eternity. If you die physically apart from him, broken, spiritually cut off from him, you'll stay that way for eternity. 
and we think about the word hell. What is hell? It's a, it's a place that he is not at. And that is no hope, no joy, no peace. And you're going to be in that spot in hell for eternity with separated from him. You want none of me in life? Great, I'll grant that. You have none of me, not just in life, but for eternity. Why? Because here's the scary thing. Romans chapter 1 scares me. And if you got your Bibles again, I know we're all over the Bible, but this is the, this is the point. Sin isn't just a one-chapter thing. It's from the beginning, And it's throughout the Bible, not just sin, but God redeeming humanity and reminding us about our sin. So chapter 1 of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God. You sin his wrath, because he is just, he has to pay. Someone has to pay the price for that. Why? Because we want justice in life. We do. We all want it. You just don't want it for yourself. But we want God to be just. In fact, he cannot not be just. So the price has to be paid. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, what did they do? You talk about truth be told. They suppress the truth, verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Why? His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Stop. You're like, what? How, how is God, how is it no one with his, without excuse? Because creation screams creator. If all of a sudden you were to be driving through Hume Lake and you, you come around and you see the lake, you're like, ah, oh, it's a cool lake. Whoa, this building, Awesome. You know what's crazy? After a billion years, there was nothing here, and it was all of a sudden, all of these things just happened to come into formation where the light bulbs just perfectly came into a spot right up there, and you know, and all these signs somehow got you know put together with the different colors. Man, it's so intriguing how that actually came to pass. The doors open and shut. That's amazing how it just all of a sudden over billions of years made it happen. You would say no. You'd walk through that little stop sign and you would say that. What? Whoa, building's awesome. I wonder who built that. Why? Because it screams architect. And what this is saying is the world is without excuse. Who God is has been plainly revealed. Why? Just the power of his creation screams creator. Although, verse 21, they knew God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but it became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And here's, I think, one of the scariest verses in the Bible. If you've checked out, please check back in for this one moment. 
Verse 24 of chapter 1 of Romans, it says this, Therefore God gave them up into the lusts of their hearts and to the impurities to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. What is that chapter saying? The world is without excuse. And unfortunately, unless you were doing la la la, we're falling asleep, the truth has been revealed. Why? Because we've already talked about the reliability of the Bible, and we understand now that there is a God who is holy, and this sin, or our, our sin broke this perfect relationship, and we are dead in our sin and our trespasses. We can't fix this thing. And if we choose to continue to push the truth aside, he says in Scripture, he'll give you over to what you want. That is terrifying, friends. That if given enough time, God will give you what you want. It's called free will. And we saw it with Adam and Eve, and we blame Adam and Eve for sin. But again, if you were in that same spot, you'd probably do the same thing. Why? Because you're still choosing to go against him. And your words, your thoughts, your deeds, your attitudes by sinning. We need help. We need him. Although they knew God, they wanted something else. And God gives them over to their desires. God says, you want something else more than me? Okay. Good luck. And sin has devastating consequences. My son, when we were up here about three years old, he was jumping on his bed. He had bunk beds. And I came into his room and I was like, hey, buddy, you can't jump on your bunk bed, man. You just can't. And I could kind of look at him and see him thinking, man, dad hates fun, right? And I go out the room and I come back in and he's jumping on his top of his bunk bed. And I'm like, buddy, you can't jump on your bed on the top bunk. You can't. And right then he stumbles and he goes to fall and I go to reach him, but I can't get there fast enough as much as I absolutely want to. I run over there to try to catch him. and I just catch the, the top of his ankle, but it's too late. His neck's already on the ground and his body just goes right over. And I try to catch him and he's just a, a little noodle just down on the ground. And for a moment, I thought my son was gone. I'm terrified. He starts to cry, and I'm checking his neck, and I'm checking his fingers and his toes. He's crying, he's crying, he's crying. I'm grabbing him like, it's all right, buddy, it's all right, buddy. And I put him back in the bed, and I'm like, you get what you get. You know? <laughs> I walk in the room, and I say, August, don't jump on the bed. And if you say it's because I don't like fun, you're out of your mind. It's because I know my son and I'm going to be a good dad and I love my dad. I'm going to take him and make him go on roller coasters and I'm going to have a blast with my son and I'm going to play and go to the ocean with him and I want to do all these amazing things when he's with dad and enjoying that. But when he's making these choices that literally could break his neck, that's not what dad wants for him. It's not because I hate fun. It's the opposite. I want him to enjoy life fully. Consequences of disobedience are devastating. That's why God hates it. Not only does it break a relationship with you and him, it breaks a relationship with you and everything else. God says, if 
you don't want me, I'll let you do that. I'll let you walk away. We see that, in fact, last time to turn, and then we'll be done for tonight. It's a story that I'm sure many of you know. One more time in the Bible, Luke is where we're going to end. Luke 16, or 15. Jesus is going to tell another parable. Again, a parable, a story, trying to get people to either understand or maybe not understand and walk away. And I hope that this parable falls on hearts that want to hear, to understand the consequences of what sin does. Chapter 15 of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, 15, 11. Jesus said this parable, there was a man who had two sons and the younger said to his father, father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And the father divided his property between the two sons. Let me stop there. Basically, this kid in Jewish custom is, well, in our world as well. My parents pass, I'll get some of the inheritance. His son's basically walking up to his dad and saying, Dad, I kind of wish you would die. So go ahead and die and give me my money or let me have my money and I'll leave. Either way, give me my money. And the father does it. Okay. Here you go. And it says this. He divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him to feed to the fields that feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs eat, and no one gave him anything. Jesus is telling this story of a man who, a, a kid, who, a guy who comes to his dad, I wish you were dead, give me my money. And the dad, in his love and with tears, watches his son walk away, and it doesn't say it. But I can only imagine if this was the story of the, the father just coming and collapsing on his knees as he's watching his son walk out the door. But he's like, Trusting him to you, Lord, right? And he goes, and this kid, you know, does everything that he could ever want. Whatever's fun to do under the sun. I'm going to live the way I want to live because life is all about me until what? It's not fun anymore. Because there's more to life than just that. And if you don't agree with that or don't believe it, ask most people that are very, very wealthy who finally get to the top of the top and they say, is this it? Tom Brady does a 60 minutes thing a few years ago, and he does a, says the same thing. After I won all these Super Bowls, I got the house, I got the wife, I got the family, I got everything. Is this, there's got to be more to this. Because there is more to it. Because life isn't about those things, chasing after those things. That's what Romans 1 is Romans 1 saying. If you want it, go. They exchange the glory of God for a lie. And God lets them do it. And the son says this, or this, it says this in six, uh, 17. When the son came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
interesting thing there is this word called confession. Is this son finally comes to his senses after he's walked away and he's like, I want nothing to do with the father until he's broken and he's like, this is not what I wanted. Why? Because sin always overpromises and always underdelivers. Always. And he finally comes to his senses. He says, I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to confess. In the beginning, God created everything and he created us to enjoy him fully. And everything was good until Adam and Eve wanted something more. And they said, God, I like this, but I want this instead. And he's like, okay. And they were cut off from their life source because sin entered into humanity and the consequences of sin is death and someone has to pay the price for that. But I can't and you can't. We need someone who can. But how? When each one of us have to pay our own price, death. We need hope. We'll talk about that more tomorrow, which is hard because I want to talk about it tonight. But Hume, and I think it's smart, they want us to understand the weight of this a little bit. I think we rush too, too quickly, which I want to, to the hope. But we need to sit in this for a moment to understand, do I truly believe the weight of my sin and what the consequences of my sin did to my relationship with God? It cut us off from our life source, and that's a really big deal because sin and rebellion is a big deal to God. Mikey, what do I do? I mean, let's worship. And I, we are. We're going to worship. And the Christians in the room, you know why you can worship. And people in the room that might not be Christ followers, you might not understand how and why do we worship in light of that because good news is coming. But when you understand there's a God who wants us to enjoy him and sin has separated us from him and there's nothing you can do about it. Let me pray. God, that is a weird way to wrap up a message. But it's truth. Your word is truth. Sin has major consequences I think that we just think it's not that big of a deal. And I hope this, this evening we walk out of here understanding sin is the biggest deal. Not only that it breaks relationship with you, it breaks relationship with others. And our world is broken because of sin. All creation screams to be restored, but we're longing for the day that it is. We need a savior, someone to step in and help us in our brokenness. Lord, may we understand our need for you tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen.